0: When I made it to my home place, I found triumph of the will. Where once lay a shining city, stood a fortress on a hill.
1: This is Fortress on a Hill with Henry, Danny, Kagan, Giovanni, Shiloh, and Manisha. Welcome everyone to Fortress on the Hill, a podcast about U.S. foreign policy, anti-imperialism, skepticism, and the American way of life. I'm Giovanni. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, Today, I'll be solo, Henry, and the others did to make it to the show. Uh, In an unprecedented mode, the basic, the Palestinian resistance in Gaza launched a major coordinated assault in the Israeli-occupied territories of Palestine on Sunday morning, October. Israelis and Palestinians alike woke up to the news that Hamas-led forces, penetrating the separation walls in the south, east, and north of the besieged enclave of Gaza and launched a major military operation on Israeli military positions and colonial settlements from air, land, and sea, capturing and killing many IDF soldiers, capturing weapons and equipment, and forcing IDF soldiers to abandon their posts, with hundreds of settlers leaving in a panic. In response, Israel Israeli President Benjamin Netanyahu declared war on Gaza. As we speak, Israel is carrying out a horrific copper bombing campaign on a 2.3 million Palestinians trapped in the Gaza Strip, a territory a little bigger than the island of Manhattan, killing or maiming thousands, leaving tens of thousands displaced, causing a humanitarian crisis with the full support of Western governments. To tell us more, we're joined by Maureen Khaki. Maureen is a Palestinian organizer born in the United States and has been active in the Palestinian Solidarity Movement for 10 years. Her 2022 film, Palestinian Stories from Texas, is an oral history film documenting Palestinian identity and experience in Texas with a particular focus on Christian Zionism, Islamophobia, and the Texas State ban on the boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement. How are we doing, uh, Maureen? Uh, first, um, solidarity uh, to you and the Palestinian um, Brothers and sisters, how's your family doing?
2: Thanks, Joe. Um, I appreciate you having me on today. Um, uh, I'm okay. You know, I think like uh, a lot of Palestinians right now, are just um, sort of in in shock, um, reeling. I mean, it's been a week from uh, a week from what happened. It's only been a week, and it's kind of a while to think about that. I think a lot of us are in crisis response mode. Emergency response mode. Given given what's currently um, happening to Gaza, the the way that Israel is retaliating, um, and so I'm 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 worried. I'm I'm worried um, about um, more ethnic cleansing. I'm worried about forced displacement of Gazans. I'm worried about the potential annexation of Gaza. Um, honestly, it's been most of what occupied my thoughts in the past week.
1: Indeed, uh... I understand very difficult for you and for all of us, actually, in the Palestinian solidarity movement um, in the world. And uh, as we've seen these horrific attacks, um, you know, uh, this wanton attack is just, you know, with freehand and and very little repercussion on on the uh, Israeli entity. Um, so, the uh, the Israeli Defense Minister Yovan Galan stated, "I have ordered a complete siege of the Gaza Strip." There will be no electricity, no food, no fuel. Everything is closed. We are fighting human animals, in his words, and we are actual and we act accordingly. The United States government has given the Israeli government green light to do whatever it had to be done, uh, with President Biden giving Israel unconditional support in Russian armaments and sending a Navy uh, aircraft carrier to deter any outside involvement. And presidential candidate Nikki Haley stated on Fox News interview um uh, said that uh to Israeli to uh, finish them. Um uh, are these people encouraging total war on the occupied Palestinian people?
2: Absolutely, without question. They are not just encouraging a total war. They're encouraging a they've greenlighted a genocide. They have armed, aided, and greenlighted a genocide. Uh Nikki Haley directing her comments at Netanyahu telling them to finish them. Is is really disgusting on so many levels because to finish them means that she knew as the former UN representative American representative to the United Nations, especially, she knew what was happening in Gaza before this. She knew the conditions that people were living under and, and forced under by the Israeli occupation. And and to to not only just decontextualize uh the actions taken by Hamas last Sunday. But to sit there and incite that kind of violence to suggest that they finish them in the same manner that they, they've been carrying on is not only just repulsive, it's, it's, she's advocating for war crimes. She's advocating for violations of international law. She's advocating for the genocide, for the ethnic, continued ethnic cleansing of Palestinians in one of the most horrendous ways. And, and, and to call us human animals is to dehumanize Palestinians and to make it easier for people to 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 encourage that genocide and that ethnic cleansing these are all intentional points to make Palestinians seem less human and less deserving of rights and this is not okay coming from world leaders this is not okay coming from these voices right now because these are the people that pe- that that your average person listens to so when they hear Somebody in power referring to this, us as animals, there goes any sort of nuance that that person should, should, should bear in mind when thinking about this situation, right? Because what we need now is to calm and, and, and understand the conditions that have made this possible. And by making the remarks that these politicians have, they've only fanned the flames. And not only did they greenlight a genocide in Gaza, but what they're also going to do and have uh, what's also already begun is is they're going to flame and fuel hate crimes against Muslims and Arab and people who are perceived as Muslims and Arab everywhere else in the world. Uh, a landlord just walked in on a, a, a Palestinian family in Chicago and murdered their six-year-olds. And 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 that blood is on Nikki Haley's hands for 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 encouraging this kind of rhetoric, for encouraging this kind of violence directed specifically at Palestinians, as if Palestinians unilaterally deserve it, and as if this all happened, as if Sunday's events happened in some sort of vacuum, which they most certainly did not.
1: Yeah, of course they're not, and all Nikki Haley. I, um... President Biden just, you know, propagating fake news with the, uh, with the whole uh, beheadings of uh, children, which um, the CNN network you know, helped propagate and just, you know, just got everybody up in frenzy. And then they had to come back and retract because it wasn't true. Hey, you know, it seems like.
2: What's crazy about that? Can I can I interrupt you? What's crazy about this too? And it's not just CNN. It's all of the media that is not providing a contextual, that is viewing this as a decontextualized, ahistorical series of events. That that perpetuate these ideas that this all started Sunday, October fifth. Everybody who commits that narrative is responsible and partaking in this in, in the green light of the genocide of Gaza. And I want to point out too, just for for listeners, I don't know if y'all remember, Mark Lamont Hill used to be with CNN, and Mark Lamont Hill was fired from CNN for suggesting that Palestinians should be free in their indigenous homeland from I the did. river to the sea, and Mark. Lamont- Hill was fired without a blink of an eye by CNN. And now they spread like wildfire. This rumor that Palestinians in Gaza had had beheaded 40 children. And and, and the president himself said he saw photos that was not true. Yes. The president was taking up and, by information and espousing it to media in an official. Pre- I mean, this is this is insane. This I, narrative insane.
1: came from one single person. He was a, 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 a Zionist activist that, who passed it on to some reporter, and then she passed it on, and it just became a, a big wave.
2: But that should tell you how ready and willing people are to accept that Arabs are just these horrible people. That is also indicative of a culture that inside and outside of Palestine has also led to this moment because they've demonized us for years. They've called us terrorists. They've called us all of these horrible things and found ways to ensure that we are viewed at as less than human. And so when, when, when somebody spreads a lie like Palestinians and Gaza beheaded 40 babies, it's easily bought, which is, which is equally disgusting, right? Because that, yeah. that, that base didn't take a day to sell nobody question which is which is great, except for Palestinians themselves who told you this was fundamentally not true.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Um You also have uh what's his name? Uh the congressperson uh from the squad as a booker. Um he came Corey. is it corn booker? Cory Booker?
2: I don't is Cory Booker on the squad?
1: He's, he's supposed to be some progressive. Um uh,
2: yeah, yes. he is he's definitely <laughs> progressive but he's he's been a hardcore Zionist and horrible on many others really
1: too. yeah I was, I was, that's what I was going to suggest he came on some news channel and uh um, he was saying that uh you know what Hamas did was so terrible and he equated Hamas with uh with Nazis uh when when the U.S. government actually supported Nazis in in, in another part of the world but um that's another
2: th- also
1: that's another topic right but uh, uh but he equated uh the Hassan uh the Hassan, um that's with Nazis and then he started putting some liberal tropes some you know, you know, some, you know, progressive tropes into it. Like, you know, uh, monsters against, uh, um, uh, you know, a mass attacks. It's in offense of, of, all of us, the LGBTQ black people and uh, minority people, you know, you just started just dressing it, just start dressing with a whole bunch of, uh, uh liberal, uh, uh, left, you know, American left, uh, tropes to it, you know, just, to, just to window dress it. Uh, do you see that? I did not. Yeah, look at that. It. It, was, it was funny. It was hilarious.
2: When, as, uh, as, uh, in his capacity as uh, an elected official is my question.
1: Right. Then you have that one sole, um, uh, Palestinian-American congresswoman. Um, oh. nah, Was it, was uh, her name, right?
2: A yeah. Yeah.
1: She, when she tried to, um, you know, you know, uplift her voice, you know, you know, we need to call for ceasefire. Yeah. Um, she got attacked by her own party. She got attacked by right. her own party. Um, I think the white the uh, White House press secretary called um, repugnant. People are are calling for a uh, ceasefire. You call that that's repugnant. Um, yeah, this. I mean, it's like I said. When it comes to the narratives, you know, they're you know they're in lockstep with each other, both parties. You know.
2: Oh yeah, it's been for a long time that, that that's what that's how we garnered yeah, progressive except for Palestine, right? The yes. work for Israel has been a bipartisan um a bipartisan thing for a long time. Um and again, uh the, which which means that they're both responsible uh, because they have continued to to provide the uh, provide for the conditions that, that force Palestinians into the the concentration camp that is led to today. Um, They are equally, they were equally responsible for this. I mean, um, in my opinion, they funded this, this, this occupation for years.
1: Absolutely. So, and you have here, I mean, we're, um, I mean, we're in Texas and we just had a a protest uh, yesterday uh, and and last week and there was a protest today in Austin. Uh, There were protests in, you know, in New York. I've seen some videos of protests in Arizona, New Mexico, California, I believe Chicago as well. However, there were massive protests in France and there were massive protests in the UK. Um, and, and in those places, protesting had been pretty much uh, criminalized. Um, there were arrests, you know, there were, I think the, uh, France uh, put on an ordinance that you're not allowed to, um, to waive the passing flag. You know, uh, Germany also, Germany, um, the, uh, the Berlin, the memorial thing up uh, the wall was, you know, they went, <laughs> They went, they went they switched from the Ukrainian flag to, to the Israeli flag, you know, uh, and uh, also protests you know for Palestine has been uh, criminalized there too. Uh, uh, can you speak on the, can you speak on that?:
2: Yeah, I'd also like to point out, too, that prior to the criminalization of uh, Palestine solidarity in in Germany, they had also, uh, ironically enough, had also banned the boycott divestment and sanctions movement in Germany. Um, And I I think that's important to mention because how can the same country that has put a national ban on one of the most intentional nonviolent resisted tactics that Palestinians have deployed and then simultaneously down Palestinians when they violently resist as if their nonviolent right to resist had not been criminalized in Germany? So, So they want this tells me that Germans don't actually care. About finding any sort of solution to this, and not that anybody assumed German w- Germany would, but but just to put it in perspective for folks, the same country that banned our nonviolent form of resistance is now banning demonstrations to show solidarity as as gets white, and also criticizing other forms of resistance when they've left people in their country no option either, right, right. and And so I find, I find it really ridiculous that the West um, who has gone out in the pursuit of democracy and de- defense democratic values um, and this idea of free speech with which they're so quick, so quick to just sort of other countries for, namely Arab countries, right? Like, it's so easy to sit here and just hate on Saudi. And I would I would be right there with you with the the hate on Sa- the Saudi government for, for the way they do it, if those things were consistent And deployed against these Western governments who now suddenly don't fully understand the concept of free speech and beyond the fact that they've taken the wrong position to criminalize these protests also, again, just adds fuel to the fire in the eyes of those who are ignorant that, oh, if my country is banning these people from even showing solidarity, they must be very bad. And so it adds to this, this narrative of Arabs bad, Israel good. Which is such a uh, wrong and simple, like did, haven't we learned our lesson? Did the did France and the United States and the UK not learn their lesson after Edoc? The answer I think to that question very obviously right now is no, because they are taking every wrong step. And I don't I don't know I almost feel like I'm losing my mind because it feels like somebody said this in a a Facebook or Instagram comment somewhere welcome to the real live episode of Black Mirror. And it genuinely feels like that because media is blacked out. Like, they're denying interviews with Palestinians now. They just don't even want Palestinian voices on there. Aside from the fact that they're decontextualizing, textualizing the narrative and making this look like some sort of unilateral attack on Israel as if it's it's only ever been Hamas uh, attacking Israel, which is ridiculous, to suggest it's on top of that, there is this deliberate silencing of Palestinian voices. And now Palestinians can't even gather and stand in solidarity with people back home to say, hey, we're calling for the end. We're calling for a ceasefire. We're calling for the end humanitarian aid. We want to show that Palestinians have humanity. So to criminalize that, too, just makes it very, very clear that these countries, governments have no concern. No concern, no respect for the sanctity of Palestinian life, and as much as they will try to tell you that they are interested in the humanity of both sides, that's fundamentally not true, and we can see that by their responses to this uh, this topic
1: i mean I've always said uh, I've always said if you look up in the dictionary, Western values, democracy, human rights, you know free speech uh and all of that you know all that warm and fuzzy. Uh, terms, right, you open you'll it up you see a picture of Israel next to it, right under hypocrisy. <laughs> you know, you know. But here's a, here's a letter, here's a letter that a joint statement that the governments of, of the United States, UK, France, Germany, and Italy uh, uh, made. Uh, says, today, we, President Macron of France, Chancellor Schultz of Germany, Prime Minister Maloney of Italy, Prime Minister Sunak of the United Kingdom, and President Biden of the United States expressed our steadfast united support to the state of Israel and our unequivocal condemnation of Hamas and its appalling acts of terrorism. We make clear that the terrorist actions of Hamas are no justification, no legitimacy, and must be universally condemned. There is never any justification for terrorism. In recent days, the world has watched in horror as Hamas terrorists massacred families in their homes slaughter over 200 young people and join a music festival and kidnap early women, children, and entire families who are now being held as hostages. Our countries will support Israel in its efforts to defend itself and its people against such atrocities. We further emphasize that this is not a moment for any party hostile to Israel to exploit these attacks to seek advantage. All of us recognize the legitimacy, aspiration of the Palestinian people, and support equal measures of justice and freedom for Israelis and Palestinians alike. But make no mistake, Hamas does not represent those aspirations and and offers nothing for the Palestinian people other than more terror and bloodshed. Over the coming days, we'll remain united and coordinated together as allies and as common friends of Israel to ensure Israel is able to defend itself and to ultimately set the conditions for a peaceful and integrated Middle East region. And I want to contrast that to, to what uh, Russian Foreign Minister Lavrov said. Uh, the U.S. wants to monopolize mediation between Palestine and Israel. The Russian Foreign Minister stressed that Americans Americans prefer not to talk about the creation of Palestinian Palestinian state and the implementation of UN decisions. Russian Foreign Minister uh, Sergey Lavrov accused the United States of intending to mon- monopolize mediation efforts on the Palestinian Israeli settlement. I cannot fail to mention that, quote, I cannot mention, I cannot fail to mention the destructive policies of the United States, which is disrupting collective efforts within the framework of the cor- quartet of international mediators, the UN, Russia, United States, and the European Union to the foreign, to Russian foreign ministers, the Russian foreign ministers stay with the secretary general of the, of the league of Arab States. Ahmed Abu uh, Ghraib. Uh, I will recall that it was this mechanism that was recognized in the decision of the U.N. Security Council as the key one. Instead of using this channel, instead of working closely with the Arab League, with the League of the Arab States, the Americans are trying to monopolize mediation efforts and to divert the dialogue between the Palestinians and Israeli away from the political settlements, from the creation of the Palestinian state and replace the implementation of U.N. security Council decisions with talks about alleviating the socioeconomic problems of the Palestinian population, about establishing some kind of current contact between Palestinians and Israel to ensure daily security on earth. Americans prefer not to talk about the creation of Palestine, the Palestinian state and the implementation of the UN decision. Um, other countries in the global, what was, was referred as the global south, um, I prefer the term global majority are steadfast in support of Palestine. Um, you, we have heard statements from, from Venezuela, Cuba, um, mm-hmm. Bolivia, uh, the, uh, you know, the uh, the people in the streets of the Gulf countries and the Levant countries, uh, people in, in China also, it's steadfast behind the, the Palestinian people. It also demands the creation of the Palestinian states, uh, saying that the root of this problem is this denial of the Palestinian state. Um, yes, so so there you have it.
2: I'd like to point out, though, that the countries who are calling for a two-state solution are not in the right here. Um, the correct thing to do in this moment is not for other countries to dictate how Palestinian future should look like. Um, by and large, in this past decade, and for longer, really, um, Palestinians have growingly rejected the two state proposal as some sort of solution um, to this that and and there are a lot of reasons why the two state is just not um, politically and 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 legitimately feasible. Um, aside from the fact that that it would have to do with population transfers, and then the fact that Israel's still growing settlements in the West Bank. There are so many reasons that but but to those calling for a two state solution really need to check themselves and and get in touch with the reality of Palestinians also. I mean, sure. Is it a step above, um, what, what the UK, France, Germany, and the United States have done? Absolutely. But if you really are standing in solidarity with Palestinians, you will recognize that Palestinians have autonomy and they have a right to narrate how that looks. And also if you've been paying attention, um, you would know that the Palestinian Authority, not you, but whoever, whoever is on the two-state jive still, would know that the PA, who has been advocating for a two-state and collaboration with Israel, and the PA is the Palestinian Authority, the governing body in the West Bay, um, are sellouts. They're sellouts and they're not representative of the Palestinian people. Mahmoud Abbas has been in power for way too long. Um, he has long, long, if ever, if he ever even had it um uh left the will of the Palestinian people behind in, in exchange for for his own comfort and and source of power within um the context of this occupation. Uh and as much as he may want to talk about peace with um the Israeli neighbors and and the establishment of a Palestinian state separate from from historic Palestine, this is not the the reality that Palestinians by and large want to see what palestinians are calling for um, by and large is a uh, is a one state uh, that's where the expression from the river to the sea comes from is what to see the return of palestinian refugees to historic palestine and access to all of our historic homeland i was
1: going to ask you that next you know walk us through through because the uh, the two state solution is the official un uh un mandate right un uh, uh, resolution of 19 of 1967 right that's the official uh, UN resolution at the time it was possible because Palestinian had more of the land back then in 1967, right? If you see the map, Palestinian land mass has been getting shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter, right? So at right. the end of the time, so we both from 1948 when, when Israel its independence from Great Britain, right? Uh, from Great Britain, because we gotta, we gotta, we gotta remember that Palestine was, uh, was a British mandate, uh, from this, from the first world war to, to that point. Um,
2: and Israel didn't declare independence from Britain. Uh, Palestinians tried to declare independence from Britain. And then Israel, the Zionist militias, violently established themselves and ethnically cleansed Palestinian land. I know you know that, but I just want to make the distinction with the terminology
1: for the viewers. Absolutely. So you have 48, right? And then you have oh, a series of of, of arab Israeli wars pretty much led by, you know, by Egypt, a coalition of Arab states led by Egypt. And you have finally the 67th settlement. Right. Uh, in which, in which the Palestinian Liberation Army participated, um, and were being supported by Egypt. Um, and then you have the 1967, um, uh, truce or, or, or resolution and which that's when the two state solution comes from. Uh, but like I said at the time, it might've been plausible. And like you said, the, 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 because you can't negotiate unnegotiable, right? Because 1940, in 1948, Palestine, Palestinians. Um, and I'm talking about Palestinian and Muslim paleinian christians right and the and, and the arab and the arab israelis they had now the the arab uh, Jews that were living there also beforehand right um they were living there right so they were uh, so they had all the land they had all all, all the all, all their land right uh which they inherited from uh from the ottoman et cetera right but they had all the land right but then you have uh nineteen sixty seven where where um these parties came together and they made a truce. And then they passed in made a concession. but a concession with the 1967
2: 1967- Yeah, I think um, before I get into my thoughts on that, I think it's worth pointing out for, for viewers or for listeners that even Hamas agrees to the 1967 borders. And, um, and I say that because there's often this rhetoric about like Israel or Hamas wants to wipe Israel off the map. Um, and and uh, I, I'm,
1: how, I'm sorry, on top of that, Likud, which is the party of, of, of Benjamin Netanyahu, right, does not recognize a Palestinian state. So go on.
2: Yeah, it, that's exactly. My point is that, look, if 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 the Israelis were OK with the Palestinian state, the PLO conceded it. The PLO is the Palestine Liberation Organization that went fr- that began his armed resistance in response to the occupation, in response to the creation of the state of Israel and carried on and then uh, traded armed resistance for, for non-violent resistance and for diplomacy and received nothing in return. They didn't receive a state. They don't even have control over the West Bank. and uh, they, they, they Ultimately, Israel has more control over the West Bank than the PA and the PLO and the PA ever will. And so I think it's just a, I think that should show people how much of a force this is, because often people like to get into these really heated debates. When I mention the number of times in 2004, 2008, 2014, 2018, that, that Israel had attacked Gaza. And honestly, a lot of people like to get into these sort of, and it's usually white guys that are like really interested in, 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 in war history, but have never actually lived through any sort of conflict war or that kind of trauma that like to talk to me about this. And they like to get it. Well, Hamas fired this bullet first, and it actually was in response to this. I don't, I don't even care. I don't even care because the ultimate bottom line is Hamas, the PA have conceded and said, "Okay, look, we'll recognize an Israeli state, but here are demands from return, the right of Palestinian refugees to return still, and and the recognition of a Palestinian state. And yet Israel has refused time and time again. And not only have they refused, but they've increased and expanded their settler colonial project. The West Bank territory has shrunk dramatically. And this is the shrinking Palestine map that we see. Over 500,000 settlers are now in the West Bank. And those settlers, as much as people want to call them civilians, are not. They are settlers living on illegal settlements on actively stolen land from, like, last generation or this one. And 60,000 of those people are American citizens.
1: Even Wonder Wonder Woman Woman was was an IDF uh, officer. Even what? Wonder Woman, the, the, the oh. person who played Wonder Woman, she was a hypocrite.
2: Right, and it's, it's really sickening. It's really sickening to take somebody who has been part of an army that has been documented repeatedly by multiple human rights organizations and legal observers of violations of war crimes, uh, of, of just disgusting behavior beyond what we've seen in Gaza, right? The Israeli military, for example, has to protect the illegal settlers on the West Bank. The illegal settlers who come into the West Bank are not only paid and given stipends and incentives economically by their government to go live there, but they are also supplied arms. And when they use those arms against Palestinians, and they often do, when they use those arms against Palestinians, the IDF, the occupation forces in Israel, cannot intervene. If somehow there was a a morally conscious occupation force soldier who saw the violence that a settler was inflicting on a Palestinian, that Israeli officer is legally not allowed to intervene. The only thing they are allowed to do is protect the settlers. So that's something that should really put stuff in perspective for for people who who are still talking about this 2 state, because this is happening in the West Bank. And let's not ignore the fact that Israel has de facto control over the entire territory. That doesn't strip. The West Bank, there is nobody that they cannot surveil in Gaza. There is nobody that comes in and out of Gaza without the knowledge of the Israeli authorities. The food, building supplies, water, electricity, utilities are all regulated by Israel. So the fact that Israel has control over these populations and these places, but these populations can't contribute to the quote unquote democracy is what de facto makes it an apartheid state. And I don't know how we go from apartheid to a two-state solution. And even if Israel was willing to concede a two-state solution tomorrow, how would that look? A global nuclear superpower next to a people who have been stateless for seventy five
1: because what they're demanding they're demanding a two they' say, okay, you know, um rhetorically, rhetorically because they're they're not they're not going to record they don't and in this in their trial, they won't recognize two state solution. but what they're what they're talking about is a Palestinian state, a militarized Palestinian state. It's a Palestinian state where mm-hmm. uh, Israel can, you know, uh, doesn't feel threatened by. So that means Israel will control the whole future Palestinian state. So so, in practice, it, it wouldn't be a state at all. You know, it would be, you know, just what what, do you, what South Africans had, Bantam, Bantam states, which were mm-hmm. territories that South Africa is on paper was supposed to be, you know, uh, independent country, but actually South Africa has controlled. It. Um, I wanted I wanted to ask you about the right of, re- right of return because most people are, are not, you know, familiar with that. You know, what does that mean? What is the 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 politics behind it?
2: The politics behind that is very simple. Um, there were in 1948 when when Zionist militias ethnically displaced 750,000 Palestinians from their native homelands. Palestinians. Walked away with the clothes on their backs and the keys to their homes under the impression that this would be some sort of temporary displacement and that they'd get to go back to their homes once things had slightly settled down, only to live out the rest of their lives. For those who are most of them who are no longer with us as refugees, some within their own homeland in the West Bank and Gaza, and some in neighboring states or, or the US or wherever. Uh, and so the right of return is a call. I believe it's UN Resolution 187. Please fact check me on that. I can't remember the n- number, but there is a UN resolution that calls for the right, the the return of Palestinians to their homelands, because even the United Nations, as colonial as, as an institution as it may be, uh, recognizes that, you know, international law states that you cannot forcibly displace an inv- indigenous people and then put somebody else on there on their land. And so uh, the right of return is is the ask that those, those Palestinians go back. And because Israel has denied Palestinians the right of return since its inception in 1948, what has now happened is that Palestinian refugees gave birth to more Palestinians like me. And now there are millions of us across the globe. And Israel thought we would forget. Israel thought that we would forget the stories and homes of our grandparents and our parents, but we will not. We will not, and we still demand that right of return. So for Palestinians who were expelled from their homes in 1948, uh, there are many of them who cannot go back. If you left and you didn't uh, stay to get Israeli citizenship when the state of Israel was created, you are not allowed to return to Israel. So any Jewish person anywhere in the world can migrate, unless they're black, can migrate to the state of Israel and live on settlements on top of stolen Palestinian homes in the West Bank today. But Palestinians from nineteen forty-eight who left for safety or were forcibly removed that still have the keys to their ancestral homes and can tell you where their villages once were are not allowed to even enter the state of Israel.
1: And and for Palestinian like you to go to go to um to go to Israel, to go to to go to Palestine, what are some of the hurdles that you have to go through? Uh, Cause you have an American citizen, right? But, uh, uh, so you go in as an American, but let's say you go, uh, when I was in, when I was in uh, Saudi Arabia, I worked with a lot of uh, Palestinians that had uh, Jordanian documents. Um, and they were telling me that, you know, other hurdles that they have to go through to go back to visit their loved ones. So what are the hurdles that you have to go through?
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I'm one of the most privileged with the fact that I have an American passport, right? Because um, it technically allows me entry into the, it technically, it technically allows me, by default, it still requires Israeli approval upon entry. But by default, I am not barred from any place in historic Palestine except for Gaza. And so, what that looks like for for Palestinians, though, uh, in my capacity, not the people who are from the West Bank that hoard, the whole Jordanian documents or who are refugees in Jordan. Um, From our perspective, it's it's we can fly into Tel Aviv. Um, Now, if you do get rejected for any reason, because they can turn you away for literally any reason and just not grant you a visa, but you have to fly to the you have to be at the Israeli border before they can reject your visa. So you you run the risk of spending two thousand plus dollars on a plane ticket to try to go visit your homeland and you may get denied a permit to entry by the Israelis because they feel like it. Um, most often they target people who are vocal about their Palestine solidarity work, especially BDS activists and advocates of, of resistance of all kinds. I, I can give you an example. Like, And again, this is very mild compared to what other Palestinians go to. And at least I can still go. But I went back to Palestine for the first time in 17 years this past July. And. In order to go, we went through the Jordanian border because we were worried about potentially being turned away. And we said, OK, if we're going to get turned away, at least we'll get stuck in an Arab country. Our ticket won't be wasted. We could go to Lebanon, we could go to Jordan, we could whatever. But um, what we didn't want to do is get stuck in Tel Aviv and get put in an Israeli cell for eight hours until they put us back on a plane home and got zero dollars in, and in a refund for it. So we went to Jordan. We had to drive from Amman, Queen Alia Airport in Amman to um we ended up going to the King Ihsan, um bridge up north for entry. But you still, even though we're going directly into the West Bank, which is, again, supposed to be Palestinian held and Palestinian managed territory, you don't go through a Palestinian border che- uh, checkpoint. You go through an Israeli border control. And in that Israeli border control, you get harassed. If you're if you're Palestinian, uh, they can tell your Arab by your name most often. If they can't tell visually, they can usually tell by your name. So my middle name is Jafar, as is as is uh as this follows custom in, in Arabic I'm named after my middle name is my dad's first name. And so they they recognize that even though Maureen may not necessarily be immediately Arabic, um, and Gaki certainly isn't, um, they can they they knew from my middle name. And so I got bombarded with questions. I went with three friends, all of whom have American citizenship, three of whom were of Palestinian descent, one of whom was from um his his parents are from Panama and the United States. And so we all got separated at different windows to talk to different security guards. And they kept asking us the same question in the hope that they'd catch us in some sort of lie or hear something that, that was on their list of banned things to say or whatever it is they were looking for. Um, and they even told one of the, the, the non-Palestinian in our group, they asked him why, we, why, would they, why he would want to travel with us uh, us Arabs, us Palestinians. Like, they're not, they're not shy about this. And then they gave him his passport back almost immediately. And because we were with a group, they knew that they, the, the, we were waiting on each other. And they staggered the rest of our passports. But it took four to five hours for them to give us our passports back. And no explanation. Just give me your passport and go sit down. And that was it. And it's like, okay, do you, do you have any more questions? Is there? Can you tell me something? No, no access to food, no access to water. We're just stuck in limbo. We're not even in a state. We don't even know if we needed help, how we would call. There was nothing. And so that's what they treat you. That's when. And so to get into Palestine, and then once you're in Palestine, you got to go through more checkpoints. <laughs> you got to follow the rules of their visa. So once you're in the West Bank, if you have a, a visa, a permit, oh, here was the other special thing they did. Now. All four of us, again, were American citizens. We were all born in the U.S. um, and have American citizenships. Remember, I had one friend who was not Palestinian. He was a Panamanian and American descent. On his passport, when they stapled his visa on there, they gave him a bling-colored visa. And this is the first time I'd seen this. When they gave me and my other two Palestinian descendant friends our permits back, they gave us the same permit, except it was color coded in green, and I, I looked at it and I was like, this must be the I don't know, a, a distinguishing identifier as Arab or or not. But what does it mean? It wasn't until we went into forty eight, which is what I refer to the state of Israel as, um, because it's forty eight. What was it, what was lost in forty eight? Um, when we went into forty eight, I realized that the, what comes into place is permits. If you have a blue aka non arab non palestinian permit then i'm sorry i should say if you have a green visa um aka palestinian descendant visa you have to pay an additional 17% tax on stuff like hotel and car rentals um Great. and it's an identifier of course to the police and the military and at checkpoints that you're you're palestinian and arab uh, uh, in some kind of fashion if you have a blue visa, you do not have to pay those taxes. So not only are they regulating us on our homeland still, but they're also charging us more than non 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 native people to this land to be back.
1: They make it sound they make it look so welcoming where I see the, the tourist commercials and on YouTube. Oh.
2: Sure. If you're if you're Jewish, if you're white, then I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's great, right? Free healthcare, something Americans don't have. We can give three billion a year to Israel, but we can't supply healthcare.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so there's there's a few narratives here going on with the uh, with what happened in the uh, October seventh, right? Mm-hmm. And I want to go on talk a little bit about the October seventh, and also what was happening before October seventh. You know, geopolitics uh, speaking. Uh so October 7, that's when uh uh the uh Palestinian organization uh resistance group known as Hamas, which they weren't the only one. I mean, they keep getting all the name, but they weren't the only one, the only Palestinian organizations that that took part in this operation it was a coordinated order, uh operation with other factions uh within the uh in Gaza and outside of Gaza. Uh, and so the narrative from people there's there's a narrative from uh so so liberals or you know people that who were who were normally advocate for palestine but they seem to advocate for palestine as long as palestinians take the abuse you know but yeah. but as soon, as soon as as soon as palestinians fight back then they can't support that um, you know we can support violence right uh there's another narrative going on um, with that, that, I've heard from one particular person. He's a, a geopolitical analyst, right? And supports Palestine. Uh, his take is that the reason Israel does what it does is because it it enjoys the clout and the protection of the United States, right? The United States uh, will block any resolution that it considers anti Israeli. Uh, the United States will give political coverage, uh, diplomatic coverage on anything we've seen it right now in live in the news. And when they, when they do all these, um, uh, interviews with the, uh, House Sec- the House press secretary and Biden and everything they give, they go out the way to give political, uh, legitimacy, diplomatic legitimacy to what Israel does. And on top of that, they get a, what? $4 billion a year of, of military aid. Right. Uh, yeah. so long as the United States, um, remains the, the hegemon, global hegemon, uh, in the world, Israel's going to continue to do what it's, what, it's, what it's doing, what it's been doing for the last 75 years, right? Right. Now, saying this, because the U.S. is is, is waning in power, most you know, losing power, and we're seeing that clearly every day, uh, We've seen that from particularly uh, the humiliation in Afghanistan, how humiliation in, in Iraq, you know, and now they're, they're being humiliated, NATO's being humiliated in, in Ukraine, you know, and there's more and more countries of the global majority uh, coming out and speaking out. And, and inserting themselves, we see that in Africa, in Latin America, in Asia, and stuff like that. Right, because the United States is waning, is waning in power, they in, a, in, and and soon they're not going to be able to have the political clout to to continue to allow Israel to do what it does. Right, that the Palestinians should just wait it out, just wait it out until the United States is not a dominant power anymore. Until we reach a multipolar world uh, that it seems to be directing to, and then 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 the Palestinians will see, their just, will see their justice.
2: At the end of the day, I'm really exhausted by people who have not endured uh, 75 years of colonialism, secular colonialism, ethnic cleansing, and, um, and just sheer tactics, trying to dictate what Palestinians should and should not do. Um, I, I think at the end of the day, real solidarity means listening to Palestinian voices first. And we are also talking about a very real reality that there could be no Gaza in the next two weeks. I mean, the fact that Israel called for one half the population of Gaza to evacuate from the north to the south, only to bomb them as they're going and following those impossible evacuation orders anyway to, to drop bombs on them, Tells me that there is a very real probability that Israel is shooting for leveling northern Gaza, literally leveling northern Gaza, and then potentially doing the same with the south and annexing the entire thing. It would be a Nakba on an on a on an even smaller scale geographically, but on a on on the same level uh, uh, um, in terms of of the number of people displaced and, and harmed, if not more, right? Because there are. There are over two million people in Gaza, uh, and half of them are children. That's that's context that anybody who uses the word Gaza needs to immediately think: Gaza, half the population is children. That's the first thought that they should that should they should be going with, and then continue from
1: there. Huh? The Palestinians, in general, it's it's a young population. It's the... a
2: young population because we, especially in Gaza, because they've been targeted over and over and over again and 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 so culturally speaking there's there's there, this is another facet entirely but culturally speaking people have produced more more children because they know that a lot of their children may not survive and and, and i mean we're seeing families again once again because they've done this before in lizbon when it's been bombarded but families are now swapping so like sets of cousins will get traded off between brothers and sisters and, 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 and half of the kids in one family will get mixed with half of the kids in the other family and stay in one location, while the other half stays in another location. So if this one gets bombed, there's still roots of both families intact at this location. I mean, imagine having to make such a horrendous decision. And then hearing those stories and thinking to yourself, oh, they should wait this through. There's nothing to wait for at this point in Leza, but If we don't immediately call for a ceasefire, there is no waiting. There is no waiting. And I'm sorry, as somebody who has sat here and watched everybody be complicit from those governments that you mentioned, especially Russia and China and Saudi and and the government of Syria and, and all of these places, be complicit, not only complicit, but active in the normalization of the state of Israel and therefore the colonization of Palestine. I'm not interested in hearing them. I'm not interested in relying on them in power either. I don't, I don't, I, I, what I want is for people to grant Palestinians the, the decency to recognize their autonomy and their humanity. And also at the same time and with equal veracity, their political rights.
1: I mean, that was, that was a reason why uh, Biden rushed, um, rushed uh, over that, uh, the uh, USS, a Ford, which is a uh, uh, aircraft carrier, uh, okay. to the coast, and also rush some more uh, f teams up to uh, the uh, airstrip the, in Jordan, is uh, to ensure that no one's no one get involved militarily or or, right. or aid. Right. Um, I, I recall also seeing that uh, Egypt, for example, wanted to send a a, a, a convoy of, of, of and aid, and the Israeli pretty much told them that that if they do, they will get bombed too. You know, uh, uh, so that so the trucks had to turn around. So that point that Israel does what it does because of the United States, that needs to be reckoned, that needs to be, uh, particularly us here in the belly of the beast, we need to understand that. We need to understand that uh, that this government, this country is a country that enables Israel to do what it does. You know, that if this country wasn't providing the arms, wasn't providing the intelligence, wasn't providing the... uh, uh, the weapons and the aid and everything like that. Israel wouldn't be able to do what it does because the population of Israel is, is what it's about. Um, is it what, six million, seven million? Uh, and that's counting the, uh, the Palestinian, that's counting the, the Israeli Arabs, right? Uh, so, they're, so, so, the, so they're even less. So, um, so yeah, so, so, so here in, in our part of the world, where we need to, where we are right now, we need to see, not see this as something that's going happening over there, and then only express solidarity when something like this erupt, but then forget about it the rest of the time. And we need to understand that the reason this, this, um, ethnic, because this is an easy conflict for me, this is an easy conflict to understand. This is a project of ethnic cleansing, you know, to establish, to establish a, uh, a, 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 an ethno state, you know, but some people may to be confused, but this is an easy conflict for me, but from where we are here, The only reason this continues to happen is because we enable it here. Our government enables it. Our government gives the green light to it to happen because they can stop at any time. You know? They can stop at any time. They can stop, they can stop the weapons flow. They can stop the economic uh, aid. They can stop, you know, they can allow the veto to go by because, uh, not a veto, but a vote in in the United, in the U.S. Security Council because it has come over and over again to sanction Israel, and every time uh, something like that comes to the to the security council, the United States beatles it. So, so this is not only an Israeli, or to Israeli Palestinian conflict. This is a Western conflict against the Palestinian people. That's my thoughts.
2: Yeah, I think it's impossible to remove remove uh, these these two entities, right? Um, uh, I yeah, I I, I mean again. Israel, the United States provides three billion a year in aid to Israel, which may sound insignificant in in terms of the overall budget of of the country, but comp- that is significantly more than any other country that the United States provides that kind of aid to. I
1: think Obama increased it. Three, like, oh, he yes. increased it to like three point eight four billion, something like that.
2: It was actually less before the Obama I ad, mean, I think you're right, Obama increased it to 3.8 billion a year. Um, and, and 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 just for context to show how inseparable to this is, to sort of make your point a little bit more, Representative Betty McCullough and the Congresswoman introduced a bill in Congress to say, hey, we're not asking you to lower the amount of money that Americans give in taxpayer funds to Israel per year we're not even asking you now to spend it on military stuff. The ask of the bill was please do not use these funds to detain Palestinian children. And the amount of difficulty that Representative McCollum had in finding people who would back her bill was absurd. That is absurd. What possible intention could that could not supporting that bill have other than to continue to see the, the detention of Palestinian children, I mean, I I I I don't know. I don't know how anybody with half of a conscience can justify that to themselves. And and look, at the end of the day, the United States and Israel share industries and certain government and security apparatuses like surveillance like militarized weapons militarized technology cybersecurity, all the things that are harmful here to to the united states to citizens of the united or to people of the united states i should say and that are being deployed around people but their governments globally are rooted in a relationship that the united states and israel has right like they they're trading over cybersecurity. they're trading or uh, they're 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 using each other's tear gas they're using each other's uh, uh, Tactics on 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 protesters here in the United States and protesters and and people fighting for resist uh, people resisting back home, and 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 so these these two countries and the people who who serve in power in these these two countries are absolutely inextricably linked. Right beyond this diplomatic and and financial support, there is well, a quote, but there but is a
1: the unshakable relationship. He called it.
2: That's a good way to put it because it's a. Quote, of, of, that's a really good way to put it. It's a culture of of state violence and state oppres- uh, oppression that both countries enforce over people. And, and that's why they benefit from their relationship with one another, right? You see a border wall between Pal- uh, Palestinian 48 and, and the West Bank. You see a border wall on, on indigenous land here between the U.S. and Mexico. We saw Peaceful protesters get fired with tear gas in, in, on, on the U.S.-Mexico border. We saw people resisting uh, police and state violence in Ferguson get gassed with tear gas. And Palestinians responded and said, hey, here's what you do because we've been hit by that same tear gas.
1: And doesn't the NYPD uh, also get training in Israel?
2: The United States. They get military trained. They get trained by the Israeli military. Not even by the Israeli police, by the Israeli military. Why do we need... Police, domestic police, to be trained by one of the most advanced militaries in the world, mm-hmm. and Bear County, Sher- Bear County Sheriff's Department was also participant uh, participant in the deadly exchange. Mm-hmm. NSA, oh, TSA agents have participated. In it. It's not just police; it's other security apparatuses as well.
1: Absolutely, I mean it's I mean like Obama called it and shake up a bond, call, unshakable relationship, and then, and I bring it to a point back to 1967 after the 1967 war, and we have the resolution. Uh, the United States pretty much self-proclaimed, self-proclaimed themselves the broker of peace uh, between the between the Israel and the Palestinian. Right? So how can you be a broker of peace, right, if you have an unshakable relationship with one party? <laughs> you know, um, that pretty
2: <laughs> that's never made sense. And I think Palestinians. I mean, one of the things I I I realized from hanging out back and and this is exclusive to the, the West Bank because it's where I spent most of my time and converse with people. But Palestinians have long ago lost hope in America as a, a a sort of neutral or even like genuine actor in this. No one no one has faith in in the United States to do the right thing because that's the reputation that this country has deserved. It's the one that it's built for itself. And so the fact that anyone I think anyone who sees the United States as a good faith negotiator in this has probably not read a book in like 30 years on the subject.
1: Exactly. Exactly. I mean, just what you said earlier resonated when you said that the function of the IDF and protecting settlers, uh, um, that's, you know, and going back to how easy this conflict is to understand for Americans, right? Because what's happening today in Palestine, in historic Palestine, uh, happened here. Um, in the United States, I mean, uh, it took the United States, uh, and its worst westward expansion it took about 130, 30 years to consolidate power, continental power, uh, control of the whole continent or, or half of the, or half of North America. Um, and throughout that time, the military here played the same function of escorting uh, settlers going West, you know, and, and protecting them from, from indigenous attack, um, same thing that what you, what you described that the IDF is doing. Um, same exact, that's why I say this conflict is so easy to understand, you know. Um, when, and you know, going back to, uh, as, again, the indigenous, uh, protecting indigenous American indigenous attacks and also uh, slavery, for example. I just went uh, a couple of years ago, I was in Louisiana and there was the, there was this, this plantation that I visited, right? So it's a museum and that area is one of the, uh, one of the, uh, uh, it's known for one of the most, it was one of the largest slave uprising, uh, here in, in the United States, in Louisiana. Right. And, and, and there was a big slaughter that happened afterwards because, uh, the, the, the plantation owners of the area, right. They pretty much formed this militia, they, they, they suppressed, they suppressed the, uh, the uprising, the slave uprising, right. And not only did they kill the conspirators, only did they only they killed the people that, that, that took part in and, 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 and the uprising they took, they killed people who were Related to them, they killed people who either thought about joining them. You know, so it was just one big slaughter, right? And they put their heads in pikes uh, across the river, so that all the other slaves around could see and and not think about uh, revolting again. You know, so 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 the history that we're seeing right now in in Palestine right now, you know, for Americans, it shouldn't be it shouldn't be alien because it's the same history that was done here. Uh, and I saw that yesterday in the protest. Um, you know, somebody had a play card uh, saying that, that, you know, the, the history was happening in Palestine, was, it happened here. Uh, you know, just just bring the link um, together. Um, another thing that I always think about is that, you know, every time a flare, or every time something erupts, um, they always talk about Israel has the right to self-defense, right? But how do you have... The, how can you how can you justify defending yourself uh, over a population that you hold captive? You know that's you know that's that's not you know you cannot you don't have the right to defend yourself over a population you're holding captive. You have responsibilities, yes, but not the right to. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Uh, yeah,
2: of course it does. Of course, because
1: you, d- you made a point yesterday. You talked about uh, the Oslo Oslo Agreement, which I remember. I remember when 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 that was happening, the Oslo Agreement. I remember Yasser Arafat uh uh agreed to the Os- Oslo agreement and everything, right? Um and uh it just, rested. it just I just thought about it when you mentioned it because every time um uh, I hear Israelis saying like Benjamin Netanyahu saying, you know, everything we try to make peace with them, but no, nothing never works. Nothing never works right. But you know, you have that the Oslo agreement when when Yasser Arafat and 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 the uh, the uh, PLO uh agreed uh to uh... go ahead talk about that. Because so I remember that because that, shortly after, I'm sorry, shortly after the Oslo agreement, that's when I think it was in 2005 where when the Israeli actually moved out of Gaza, the, uh, uh, they, they moved out of, uh, to, was it 2004, 2005? That's when they actually moved out the the end of the quote-unquote occupation of, of Gaza. And then that's when they started pretty much the blockade of Gaza right after that.
2: I want to say it was 2002 or 2004. Cause saw- other yeah. assault on the, um, but yeah, I mean, this, those two accords are kind of the same shit as the two-state, right? Because, because Palestinians conceded at every turn, and were fully prepared even to divide the capital and, and adhere to 67 borders. And again, Israel just denied, 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 denied. And, and there is no good faith negotiation when you come to the table expanding settlements and, and increasing the violence against Palestinians, increasing the number of Palestinians who are imprisoned, increasing the number of homes of Palestinians that are demolished, you cannot make i don't I don't quite frankly even care what policy is on the books at that point that they that they supposedly agree to because their actions have shown something very clear, which is they want Palestinians all removed off of historic home they don't hide this. That's what people have to understand they don't hide this. They don't call the West Bank and Gaza, or they don't call the West Bank the West Bank. They call it Judea and Samaria. They, 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 they want to attempt to Hebronize and Judaize everything because that's what's become associated with the state of Israel to make their claim seem more pressing. And that's fundamentally not only, and so not only does that tell you that they have no interest, and this isn't like regular Israelis just that use this. The Prime Minister of Israel uses this language. He is mm-hmm. not shut up this. He does not refrain from using it in front of American politicians and media. He does not even refrain from using it around other in Congress in, in the US Congress. Yeah. This is not something that they try to hide. They do not want the establishment of Palestinian states and they do not want Palestinians. That's why they banned the Palestinian flag from being on display in the "quote unquote" state of Israel. I mean, that seems like an almost mundane thing to bring up as people are getting murdered in Gaza. But that should tell people the extent to which Israel is a racist apartheid state built off of the blood of Palestinians.
1: What is it? What, what does that mean? People use the apartheid, and people associate it with South Africa. But I don't think a lot, of, a lot of people get a lot of thought what that means. And you've been to you've been. To to Palestine, I think as a, as a child, you lived in Palestine for, for, for a while. Um, what does that, what does that mean to live in, in, in an apartheid state? Um, also, uh, uh, what is Zionism? Because, remember, you know, Zionism is also what leads the, the, uh, the, uh, ideological, uh, frame that leads this, what, this, 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 you know, this expansion of Thank Israel, you. you know, those two things, what, what do what do they mean?
2: Yeah, I'm going to start with Zionism because that makes sense um, and that it can we it can move on to the explanation of apartheid, which, yeah. Um, so Zionism, like you said, is an ideology. It is, to clarify for anybody who wants to try to deliberately misconstrue this as anti-Semitic, it is absolutely nothing to do with Judaism. Judaism is a religion where Zionism is a political philosophy. And I often compare it to American audiences, for American audiences to manifest destiny, right? It, it's the idea that you use, so Theodore Herzl is the father of, and founder of Zionism, which again was a political movement that had started in the late 19th century in response to rising anti-Semitism in Europe. And uh, they put together the first Zionist Nationalist Conference, and they were contemplating where um, European Jews should leave because of anti-Semitism in Europe um, mm-hmm. to find, to establish a Jewish state they had contemplated different places, including Uganda, Argentina, and historic Palestine, which, like you said earlier at the time, was under British mandate. And so Zionism became the justification. They said, we will um, uh, use the idea of the Jewish, uh, to, to, uh, we will use this place as a safe haven for the quote-unquote Jewish people, but it, it, Zionism is often thought of. Out of context, thinking about it that way, it's like, cool, there's no problem. I have no problem with, with the idea of a, a, a safe and a state for Jewish people. That's, that's no problem. The problem comes when you try to build that state on top of an existing Palestinian, uh, population, which in this case was the Palestinians, and at the expense of their rights, right? Like that's the same thing that settlers who came to the United States said. They said, we're getting persecuted in Europe. So we're going to come over here but when we get here, we're going to kill these brown people so we can be able to have, be free. Which sounds ridiculous. How do you expect safety? How do you expect peace? How do you expect non-retaliation when you invade someone else's land and say, oh, I'm sorry, we're doing so in the name of our own safety? Right. And so that's Zionism, which, again, is a political movement. That's why you'll hear people say, I'll call Israel the Zionist state, right? And and and. By the way, again, Israel, not shy about this, in 2018, they passed a law called the Nation-State Bill, and that bill states that the right to self-determination in the state of Israel is unique to the Jewish people. So all non-Jews, Christian, Muslim, whatever it is, do not have the right to self-determination in quote-unquote Israel by Israeli law.
1: Bori, not all Jews are Zionists. But well, there's a lot of there's a lot of non, there's a lot of non there's a lot of Zionists who are not Jewish.
2: Of course not. The same way that Zionism is not Judaism, Judaism is not Zionism. And I would never want to do the Jewish community the service of equating them with Zionism. I there's would
1: a of, There's a lot of people who are non-Jews who are Zionists.
2: Yeah, in fact, in the United States, the biggest lobby in the country is not a Jewish Zionist lobby by membership; it's a Christian Zionist lobby. It's an evangelical Christian Zionist lobby. For those of you who don't know, that is based here in San Antonio, Texas, and founded by the pastor of Cornerstone Church, the mega church at 281 and 60.
1: Absolutely. And the
2: church, I think these days of seven, eight million. Vice President Mike Pence spoke at one of their conferences in D.C. I believe it was in 2019. And security, the, the whoever, whatever his role was, here also John Bolton. Right. These and these people are in like the highest. Parts of government.
1: Exactly.
2: To to assume that they're somehow neutral actors when they believe that there's a religious reason, which is anti-Semitic as hell, by the way. Christian Zionists calling for the return of Jewish people to historic Palestine so that the second coming can start and Jews can either convert to Christianity or health. That's a bizarre way to show your solidarity with Jewish people.
1: A lot of gymnastics going on there.
2: A lot of mental gymnastics. I just... (laughs) then I can't even, like, I can't even get through it.
1: But, well, Marie, I, don't, I, don't know how, I know you uh, mentioned uh, uh, anti-Semitism, right? But also, uh, Arab people are Semitic people as well, aren't they?
2: Yeah, that's true. I mean, I really don't, I, but I, I really don't even like to engage in this argument because it's so irrelevant. Like, well, the, it,
1: the re- I'm sorry, the reason I bring it up, because that's a way it's used to attack. To attack any criticism of, of of Israel. You know, you're you're automatically uh, you automatically label as anti-Semit, right?
2: Look, the same way that the, the the reason I don't really care for the engaging in this this sort of semantic argument is that it is strictly semantics because in, in practice we know that anti-Semitism means hatred and racism towards the Jewish people, right? Even though it's a misnomer in terms of Semitic because uh, Arabs and other people to that region are also Semitic people, that in we know deployed in practice that and it's been established and culturally accepted, the definition is not in contention that anti-Semitism is racism against Jewish people. So I don't even care to engage in this because I'm like, okay, let's even start from that premise, and I can still tell you why your argument is crap. You know what I mean? I can it's it's still, it's still I'm not and engaging because Zionism is a whole other front, and that has nothing to do with Judaism and the, in fact the people who try deliberately to conflate Zionism and Judaism and try to suggest that all Jewish people are somehow tied to the state of Israel are doing Jewish people a disservice by associating them with such a genocidal state in their name no less
1: exactly um, tell us where um, where do you see this conflict going um, and what are your hopes to, uh, to the future?
2: I, you'd have to ask somebody much smarter than me about where this is going um i I couldn't tell you i I, I fear horribly that in the immediate with the news that 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 israel's uh, the occupation forces are preparing for a ground invasion i I am deeply concerned about what that would look like, and I' am deeply concerned about the using this as the justification for the annexation for the ethnic cleansing and then subsequent annexation of Gaza. Um, What I would love to see in the immediate is what Palestinians and Gaza are calling for most, which is an immediate ceasefire and humanitarian aid. And simultaneously proceeding from the point that Palestinians are deserving of political rights, Palestinian resistance is legitimate. And Palestinians want to honor their commitment to that resistance, which is the right of Palestinians to return and to have equal rights in historic Palestine and access to historic Palestine. Outside of how and what that looks like, I don't even think is an appropriate conversation to necessarily be having because there are so many steps that we have to take to get there first that are so that seems so far away now um, in, in the sense of the fact that we have politicians who can't even recognize our humanity, let alone willing to be recognize our political rights, right?
1: This is, what, this is what Mandela said. Mandela says that always the oppressor, not the oppressed, is who dictates the form of struggle. Uh, you know, so uh, I didn't let you finish, I didn't let you finish uh, telling us what, uh, what apartheid means in practice. Uh, do you want to do about a, a quick sentence?
2: Yeah, yeah. The most simple definition of a is that there are two sets of laws, or that it's, that it's legalized segregation, right? Um, that there are two sets of laws applied on uh, um, two sets of people. And in this case, Palestinians are ruled by one law, depending on where you're at, and then Israelis are ruled by another. And that's true, no matter where you are in Palestine. So for example, if you're in the West Bank, you are, uh, and you, so you're Palestinian. They know that they're uh, the only people outside of the, uh, that are not Palestinian in the West Bank are the Israeli settlers. So in the West Bank, um, you have Palestinians with a white ID tag on their car. And this is just one of the most like visually obvious forms of apartheid. It's not even the most egregious necessarily if we're ranking them, but it's just such a, like, cause, cause our, they, it's just such an easy way to get this distinction. But if you are, Palestinian, you have a white license plate on your car. And if you are an Israeli or a settler in the West Bank, you have a yellow license plate on your car. And why is that important? It's important for two reasons. Because if you're passing by a checkpoint, uh, one of the 500 checkpoints in the West Bank, um, which does not include, by the way, 1,500 flying or pop-up checkpoints that are temporary and can be moved. So if you're going through this checkpoint, there is a lane for Jewish Israelis, and then there is a lane for Palestinian Arabs with the white tags, where as they're passing through the checkpoint, not only do they have to show their IDs to Israeli soldiers, but there is an Israeli in the booth, no matter what time of day it is, no matter if the conflict is tense or not, uh, there is an Israeli in the booth holding a semi-automatic rifle and pointing it at the direction of the Palestinian driver.
1: Right.
2: If Again, there are different... There are different ways that apartheid plays out that have been well documented. And most recently, um, there, I think it was Amnesty International, who was the most recent uh, human rights organization, to outline how and why. But I would also recommend, since we're, this is a short answer, Noura Adekat, if you're genuinely interested in the legal argument um, for, for how and why this is apartheid, uh, then I would recommend Noura Adekat's book, Justice for Sun. Because it talks about it in much more detail um, and does very good comparative analysis from a legal standpoint that is so far out of my reach, um, and and, and area of knowledge, uh, but that's why I'm grateful to her for have written, written like being willing to write the book that that we've all had questions about, uh, and so yeah, but I, I just want to I mean, different road systems, um, different uh, different permissions, um, in East Jerusalem. If you're born in East Jerusalem as a Palestinian Arab today you are not given you're stateless you're ever so everywhere else in 48 which is a quote unquote state of israel if you are born even as an arab palestinian in that place you still get israeli citizenship unless you are born in east jerusalem because they're trying to annex also east jerusalem and they want to get rid of the palestinians there so they make their they give them a residency card which is a very precarious status And again, the point of this too is that this is a reflection of two different laws for two different people based on their ethnicity. Because if you're Jewish, Israel, no question. You just get Israeli. But if you're Palestinian Arab born in this place, you get a residence card, and you're stateless. And if you leave Jerusalem, uh, you have to come back and renew that card every six months. Otherwise, you lose your right to live there. Obvious examples of apartheid that I'd get.
1: That brings a point because a lot of uh, people in the... the and the Palestinian solidarity movement like to compare South Africa with, 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 uh, with 48 with Palestine. And they're not comparison because the white South Africans weren't trying to, uh, ethnically cleanse the, the, the black South Africa or the majority, like 90% like population. Whereas in Israel, that's what's happening. It's, 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 it's an ethnic cleansing is happening in real time. Uh, you know, so it's, that's, you know, it's, 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 it's a, it's a unique situation. It's not not South Africa.
2: Yeah, I think people, I think because South Africa might be one of the only situations of apartheid and um, in, in, in the only other situations of apartheid in history, it's it's just easy to draw on comparison. Truthfully, I don't know enough about the circumstances of South Africa and apartheid to be able to say what it looked like and and even give it a comparison. But I mean, obviously scholars much smarter than me have done that. So um, that's interesting
1: to hear. Yeah. yeah I'm going to give you a couple more quotes on uh, and and this is mostly uh, for people who you know, like I mentioned earlier, who support you know, Palestinians until they do something they don't they don't they don't like you know until they fight back. Now we can support it, right? Um, Here, what Malcolm X said: he said, "If you're not careful, the newspapers will have you hating the people you are being oppressed, the people who are being oppressed, and loving the people who are doing the oppressing." Right. Another another. Uh, a uh, quote that I would like to share is from uh, Kwame Ture, formerly known as uh, Stokely Carmichael. He said, in order for nonviolence to work, your opponents have to have a conscience. America has proven that it does not have a conscience. right?" Um, and one last one is from a Palestinian woman that I heard uh, a while back. It says that if we protest peacefully, they kill us. If we fight back, they kill us. Whatever they do, they kill us. They just want us to die quietly. Those are uh, some of the things that I want to share. Uh,
2: yeah. And I think those things are important because like I was talking about with the boycott die, but the criminalization of the BDFs movement earlier, it's like we've tried. People are like, oh, this is not the way. And not that cities owe you an explanation, but it's since we're having the conversation we've tried every other way and it was criminalized we were denied our rest Palestinians back home were killed people in Gaza were shot in the head medics journalists included for for oh, was
1: last year right it was it last year, two- year a couple years ago right that's the, the march the march to return right
2: right right right
1: two years ago right
2: yes right
1: yes. boy um, i'm sorry
2: 2020 great march of return
1: yes um all right. Um. On that note, I think this is a uh, is a good place for us to wrap, to stop, to pause. Uh yep. Any last words? Any words that uh you know, you know, you made a film recently about Palestinians living in Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, anything you want to share about that? And uh, anywhere we can, uh, what can we do here in the West? Uh, and uh, where can we? If you have any, uh. So you're part of an organization. What organization can we follow? What can we uh, donate on Monday? Um, uh.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, if you're if you're organizing locally in San Antonio, um, there is San Antonio for Justice in Palestine. Um, the Instagram I can send to you Joe is at sajp um, underscore nineteen, um, and we that is on Instagram where we've been doing a little bit here. Um, there's many, many organizations around the country, depending on where you are, if you're looking for a chapter to join, and depending on from what perspective you'd like to you know, join the solidarity movement from, there is American Muslims for Palestine, there is the U.S. Campaign for Palestinian Rights that does sort of congressional advocacy work, There is uh, there are groups like Eyewitness Palestine, the organization that I work for that takes delegations of people. Um, to do this sort of flow of um, solidarity tourism that educates, of the, to, and the idea is to continue to educate when you get back. Um, there is Jewish Voice for Peace, of course. There's If Not Now, um, those are both um, anti Zionist Jewish organizations that do phenomenal work, um, solidarity work. Uh, there's the Palestinian Youth Movement. If you are on campus, um, I would recommend founding uh, a Students for Justice in Palestine in conjunction with the National Students for Justice in Palestine chapter. Um, yeah, there's so many places where your work could be needed, but immediately as futile as it may seem to a lot of listeners, especially um, folks who identify as leftists, please do contact your, sta- your representatives. Um, it, I understand it may seem futile. They clearly have no interest in listening, but it can not hurt, and it is a tiny five minute action. It does not take a lot of time. If you go onto the US campaign for Palestinian Rights website, they will just do the preform for you, right? Um, so do make those calls. Lesbians are asking for a ceasefire and an entry to humanitarian medical aid, but that does not mean that it should end there. We should never wait for these situations to inflame again. Again, we won't we don't know if there's going to be a resident. That's the reality that Palestinians are living under right now. This is the urgent of the urgent. There is no room for thinking waiting and 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 play trying to build up for anything this is it is now it is now and and so it is fundamental that that these conversations be had immediately. If you can join a rally um nearby to show your support. we need people to be outspoken, especially as anti Arab and Muslim hate crimes are resurging already and will continue around the country um, in a post 9-11 fashion, unfortunately. But the priority right now, of course, is still a ceasefire humanitarian aid while recognizing the right of resistance, the political rights and aspiration of the Palestinian people and continuing that work even after hopefully that ceasefire.
1: Mari, thank you so much for coming on the show, um, sharing your thoughts, time, expertise with us. Uh, solidarity with the uh, Palestinian people. A hard goal with the Palestinian people. Um, thank you so much. Take care.
2: Thank you so much. I really appreciate you giving um, the opportunity in this space.
0: Yeah, appreciate you. Thank you. Uh- Money is tight these days for everyone, especially in the lingering shadow of COVID. Penny pinching to make it through the month often doesn't give people the funds to contribute to a creator they support so we consider it the highest honor that folks help us fund the podcast in any dollar amount they're able. Patreons is the main place to do that, and for supporters who can donate $10 a month or more, they will be listed right here as an honorary producer, like these fine folks. Fahim's Everyone Dream, James O'Barr, Eric Phillips, Paul Appel. Julie Dupree, Thomas Benson, Janet Hansen, Ren Jacob, Scott Spaulding, Spooky Tooth, Helgeberg, and Howard Reynolds. How- however, if Patreon isn't your style, you can contribute directly through PayPal at paypal.me forward slash Fortress on a Hill. Or please check out our store on Spreadshirt for some great Fortress merch. We're on Twitter and on Facebook.com at Fortress on a Hill. You can find our full collection of episodes at www.fortressonahill.com Skepticism is one's best armor. Never forget it. We'll see you next time. Come on, you good people And listen to my song I hope you'll pay attention I will not